Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 31 for the director of music, a psalm of David. And it is the first 16 verses of the psalm, which can be found on page 865 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 31, verses 1 through 16. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you've made, and we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, your word is also like a mirror, showing us more clearly who we are and the ways in which uh, we have distorted the image of you that we were created to be. I pray that you would help us not to... um, not to turn away, to stay away from looking in this mirror. Help us not to read it and then immediately forget, not do what it says. As James says, it's like a man looking in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what he looks like. God, help us to, to read, to understand. And God, we pray that by your word and your spirit, you would change us into the people that you've created us to be as those who reflect you more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 31, verses 1 through 16. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, For the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Turning to our New Testament lesson, John 14, verses 1 through 14. Which can be found on page 1675 in your pew Bibles. On Jesus' last night with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion, he said to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are still looking at the, uh, the book of Acts. We are still looking at Stephen in the book of Acts. And for those of you who have forgotten what's going on here, let me just bring you up to speed. Stephen was one of uh, those who was a Christian and who had been set apart as uh, when there was a little issue in the early church of people claiming their needs weren't being met in the distribution of food. There were some people who were being overlooked, and they said, how are we going to do this? And the apostles said, look, we, are gonna, we need to devote ourselves, be set apart for the ministry of prayer and preaching of the word, and there are other people who are going to be set apart specifically for helping with food distribution. And Stephen was one of those. And they had specific reasons why they chose these people, being full of the Holy Spirit, being full of faith. This is who Stephen was, and he gets set apart for that ministry. The next thing we see from him is how he is then preaching, basically. So even though he was set apart for uh, you know, just doing you know, the hands-on kind of ministry, the next thing you see, he is preaching. Well, why is he preaching? He's preaching because people are accusing him of doing things against the temple, against the land, against Moses And so then Stephen gets brought before the Sanhedrin where he has to then defend himself. If his goal, by the way, is to defend himself, he does a terrible job. When he opens his mouth to speak, I think everyone assumed that that's what he was going to do, was defend himself. And if you were brought before before a court and they accused you of doing something wrong and you had not done anything wrong, don't you think that's where you'd start? is explaining why I haven't done anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong, and you should let me go. Stephen, though, is the first of what uh, comes to be known in the church as martyrs. And martyr is somebody who dies for the faith, but it actually comes from the Greek word for witness. 
Stephen is the first witness, a witness to the point of death. What he did is instead of getting up and giving his defense and saying, here's what I'm being accused of and I have done no such thing, therefore you should let me go. Instead, he stands up and uses that opportunity to say, this is who Jesus is. I have not done the things you've accused me of because I have been looking to Jesus. Jesus, on the other hand, is the one that you rejected. Spins the whole thing back around on them, but keeps, keeps it all focused on Jesus. And that's where we left the story last week. Is that at the end, it was at the end of his speech, and we kind of hinted at what was to come next. I've already explained. He's getting ready to die for this testimony. And that is what we're looking at this week. Acts chapter 7, verses 54, through the first part of um, chapter 8, verse 1. This is the response. It says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Later in the book of Acts, we'll find out a lot more about Saul, who he is, what he continues to do from here, and how God meets him and changes him. But at this point in his life, he is one who is so passionately on God's team that he's willing to kill somebody who he thinks is speaking against God. This happens today, by the way. I don't know if you know that. There are people in this world who are so passionately convinced that they are on God's team that if anybody says something opposed to that, they're willing to kill them. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the human heart is an idol-making factory and how it's really important that we don't just claim to worship Jesus, but we actually know the true Jesus to make sure we're worshiping him. But one of the things that we didn't point out, and in that we were looking at how you know, the Israelites had made a golden calf and they claimed that this was, these were the gods that brought them out of Egypt. It wasn't. They claimed it was, didn't make it true. The Sanhedrin was claiming to be those who followed Moses. But they didn't. And Stephen pointed that out too. So just claiming that they were following him didn't mean they were really following who he was. And the same thing for us, just claiming that we're following Jesus isn't the same thing as actually following the real Jesus. But here's why it's so important, and we didn't cover this a couple weeks ago, we'll cover it now. Why it's so important to make sure that we are actually following the real Jesus is because who it is, that, whatever it is we're worshiping, whatever, whoever we're worshiping, we become like them. 
That's what happens with worship. And so if whatever it is that you're giving yourself to, whatever it is you're following, you start becoming like that. This is why in the uh, Old Testament you see over and over again, it even gets carried through in the New Testament, these images of you're a stiff-necked people and you have eyes that don't see and you have ears that don't hear. Why are these the things that are used? Because that's what idols are like. You have this golden calf that has a neck that doesn't turn because it's not alive. And it has eyes, but it can't see anything. It has ears, but it can't hear anything. And so there's this imagery that gets carried through of you're becoming just like these dead things that you're worshiping. In a really short book with... uh, Lots of not very colorful pictures. Sky Jatani, uh, it's called What's Wrong with Religion. He uh, says one of the issues is that we actually remake God in our image instead of the other way around. This is what was happening with the golden calf. This is what happens with our idol-making factories of hearts. The example he gives, he says, Scott McKnight, a professor in Chicago, gave his students a 24-question survey at the start of every semester to assess their view of Jesus. All right? So it's 24 questions all about how do you view Jesus, who is he, what's he like. And these students would all answer these 24 questions at the beginning of the semester. Then later in the semester, he would ask them another 24-question survey that they completed about their own views and their own personalities. Any guesses? He said when he compared the answers, the outcome was remarkably consistent. Everyone thought Jesus was just like themselves. And he goes on to say, except you. Surely you're not that narcissistic. You wouldn't cut and paste God to fit your political beliefs, like Thomas Jefferson. You don't assume that God agrees with all your social or moral views, like like McKnight's students. And then here's the question. He says, take a moment to think of just one opinion you hold that you're certain God disagrees with. Take some time and think of one opinion or view that you hold that you're certain God disagrees with. And if you can't, that ought to be a red flag. That maybe, maybe, We're remaking him in our image instead of being remade in his. Now, Jesus says, not everyone who claims to be my disciple is my disciple. He says, it's by their fruits that you'll recognize them. Right? It is when people begin to show more and more the likeness and the character of who God is and how he has shown himself in Jesus most particularly, that's when we say, okay, that's really somebody who's fallen. And that doesn't mean this person is more like Jesus than that person, therefore this person is and that person isn't, because we all start in different places. And you never know where somebody started. But I want you to look at this. The contrast and the comparison between Saul and the other 
members of the Sanhedrin who were convinced they were worshiping God, and Stephen, who was convinced he was worshiping God. And the one group, Saul giving his approval, the Sanhedrin, who, by the way, kind of rushes the whole judicial process here where they weren't supposed to do it quite like this. They did have a process for executing people for blasphemy, if that's what this was. They kind of skipped some steps and just went for it. Um, But you have these people who are so willing to kill for their faith. Then on the other hand, you have Stephen, who is so willing to die for his faith And not only to die for his faith, but to die in testimony to even his enemies. To give up his life, to lay down his life so that they would hear this message. And if that doesn't sound familiar already, then you can look at some of the things that he says as he's dying. When he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Does that sound familiar to you? When Jesus on the cross prays to God the Father and says, receive my spirit. And then the next thing that Stephen says is, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar? As Jesus, who from the cross, his Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, let me ask you, which of these groups seems to be reflecting the true Jesus? And Jesus, as we just read from John, is the one who's reflecting the true God. This is why he says, why do you ask to see the Father? You've already seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Because I'm reflecting him clearly. Not like all of us. So the question is, How do we become more like Stephen, less like that Sanhedrin, less like Saul? We'll see this actually happen to Saul later as he becomes more like Stephen and how he is. Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter that goes over all these people who have lived by faith in the past. And over and over again, it talks about you know, people who lived by faith and some of them saw these great things and they were uh, rescued from dangerous situations. And then at the end of that chapter, just when you might start thinking that if we live by faith, nothing bad will ever happen. It ends the whole chapter with, and then there are all these other people who live by faith, and all these horrible things happen to them. And you read through the end of that chapter, and it's pretty grisly. And yet, for all of them, he said, they were all living by faith, and they knew that there was something better coming. So these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then chapter 12, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's the key line. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What is the key? Keep your eyes on Jesus. And that is so much easier said than done because everything around us is trying to keep our eyes from being on Jesus. But to turn our attention, it doesn't even take an outright denial of Jesus. All it takes is a distraction. We could just be distracted for a little while. And then a little while that grows into a longer while. And a longer while that grows into a lifetime. And the next thing we know, we've lived our lives away from Jesus and didn't even realize it. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Get to know him. Get to know the Father through him. Stay in communion and communication with him. Read his word. Pray to him. Fellowship with others. Claim his name and seek to follow him together. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And the more we do that, the more we begin to resemble Jesus. The less likely we become to kill others for our faith, the more likely we become to lay down our lives in all kinds of ways for our neighbors, and even for our enemies. It doesn't come naturally. It only comes supernaturally. But it's who we were created to be. It's what we were created to do. And there's so much more in store in the future. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.